0: Well, today, again, we come to an end of a journey with the book of Amos. Uh, I think when Pastor Judy was saying that we are coming to an end, um, I I, I didn't know that if you are sad or you are happy, um, uh, but, but I hope that you are happy because, you know, you have been able to learn about God's word, especially in this small book, nine chapters, that we said that it's like a minefield. There are great things, treasures that you can mine from this book and get to know and to learn about who God is. And so today we are going to camp at Amos chapter 9. So if you're here as a visitor, you can perhaps check the previous sermons on our YouTube page, the ones that we have done. This is the fifth sermon from this book. And so if you may please stand with me to the book of Amos, chapter 9. And we are going to read from verse 11 to verse 15. If you are looking for it, it's in the Old Testament. It is book number. It's book number 30. Book number 30. You will go there. So if you see anything like Akina Paul, Paul written the stories, look you are in the wrong place just go back 400 years a few steps just 400 years and you find it tucked in there and I believe that by now you have found it allow me to read it for you in that day I will restore David's fallen tent I will repair its broken places restore its ruins and build it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord. Who will do these things? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I will bring back my exiled people, Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. They plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. And that's the word of the Lord. All right, allow me to invite us just to to a time of prayer before we interact deeply with God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word is always true and timeless. It is powerful and it is living. Yet you appointed weak lips like mine, O Lord, to bring forth your word. I acknowledge my place like an arranger of wood on an altar, waiting for you to bring your consuming fire. I pray, O oh God, that you will send the Holy Spirit, who is our wonderful counselor, to understand these things that we are learning today. But also, and more importantly, make your word very, very personal to us and relevant to all these brothers and sisters in their unique situations today we thank you and we honor you and we bless you in jesus name we do pray amen and amen for those who have been with us here and you have tracked with us this story or this book in the last seven chapters that we have read and today we are going to check on the eighth and the ninth chapter you will agree with me that the words that you have just read are pretty much unexpected from what we have been learning about god especially in the book of amos and from the beginning you may know or you may remember that the metaphor that is used is that god is like a lion and his voice is being heard to all people and god is bringing judgment to his people who have deserted him it is a book that is meant to awaken our conscience and ask ourselves what is my relationship or how is my relationship with god am i taking him for granted am i loving him the way i talk is there anything that is hidden deep within my heart and my soul that is contrary to what he expects of me It is a book that is meant to rattle them so that they may return and equally for us so that we may return to god in true worship in true humility in true repentance and in true and in true joy and today we are going to look at how do we return or what is in for us when we return to god and you are going to see that indeed there is life all the eight chapters before what we have read today they are full of God's righteous call and God showing his divine displeasure and pleading with them return to me come back to me come back to me in true humility in true worship in true love in justice practicing justice Those are some of the themes that we have been reading and encouraging each other since we began this book. And God does this, asking them to return back to him by exposing many of their sins or what they were doing to each other. Again and again, he calls them and asks them, stop pretending. Do not pretend any further. Return back to me, for I know your sins are their many." He tells them, now go back and do justice. Let justice flow like a mighty river in my people's lives. And he does this because by that time, the people of Israel were professional pretenders. They were, whatever they were saying with their mouth was not a conviction from their hearts. So they were just pretending and God is telling them, I know you. I know your hearts. And even today, the same words. I pray that as a people of God, as those who come to this church, indeed that we worship our God in spirit and in truth. That there will be no moment that we will be offering a sacrifice of worship that is not worthy before the Lord. That we just want to be seen. Like we are good worshippers, but deep down or beneath that is a hardened heart. A heart that is repugnant towards God's call. A heart that doesn't want to obey God. And so because of that, because that's how the Israelites were, God said, judgment is coming. And these things, again, are repeated in chapter 8. All along, God is mentioning them. And in chapter 8, if you may turn just one page behind with me, just one page. And if you look at chapter 8, verse 4, God says, hear this, you who trample the needy, and do away with the poor, of the land and God is lamenting here, telling them that you have been abusive to your kinsmen, your brothers, and your sisters. You have been mistreating them, you have not extended justice to them. In any case, you have harassed them, those who are innocent, those who need justice. You have paid the judge, you have paid the policeman, so that you may subvert justice. To my people. God is saying, That sin, I'm going to punish you because of that. In the next verse, it says, There, when, the, verse 5 says, Saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? That even when they were in church, They were asking, when will the service end? So that we may go and do that which we love doing. That instead of worshipping the Lord in church, they were watching the clock, asking themselves, when will this service end? That worshipping the Lord had become an inconvenience to them. That they would rather be doing something else. And worshipping the Lord to them was just a mere tradition and a mere formality. But when they went to church, they were asking, when will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain? When, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market quit. And they are in church. They are pretending to be worshipping the Lord, but they are thinking about other things. Maybe the question to ask ourselves is, Do you worship God and when you're in that moment of worshipping the Lord, you see like God is interfering or inconveniencing you that you'd rather be doing something else. That even when you stand here in worship and in praise, your mind and your heart is not there. It's somewhere else. You're thinking about other things. And when someone else asks you, where were you? I was worshipping and praising the Lord, but your heart was not here. God says, I see that I see that. And when you read the judgment that had come to them, you will know that indeed God was justified. The other thing that they were doing. Verse five part B there says, skimping the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales. That what they will do if they were buying grain, they will buy with a big bucket or basket. And then when they are selling it, they sell in very small. They buy a lot at a cheaper price. Then they sell small at expensive or at higher prices to maximize on profits. And God says, because of this, then I am going to bring judgment to you. This week we have had what people have been calling or corporates have been calling customer service week. I wonder the Israelites, then how their customer service week looked like. It was not service. In any case, it was just theft. In verse 6 there, the Bible says, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. And we see here that also the people, to the children of Israel, people were just commodities. Every person had a price tag. I don't know if you have been shocked by the many murders that we are witnessing today. You read the newspapers every day, someone has been killed. Young men, young women. People are killing each other because they have uh, placed a price tag on their forehead. And the dignity of the human race has been lost because to them, to us, People are just mere properties. They are mere commodities. And you can get anyone that you need at the highest price. Mothers in the labor world, they have to take care of their children because their babies can be stolen even by the ones who are helping them deliver the children. And those children can be sold to others. God says in verse 7, The Lord has sown by the pride of Jacob I will never forget anything they have done and so when god is bringing justice it's because the lord has said i will never forget i have seen it that you thought you're doing it to someone else you thought that you're hurting someone else you are hurting the very heart of god and god says i will bring my justice to them and i will punish and i will punish them because of that friends the people of Israel they lacked the distinct feature of the people of God, and that is loyalty, fidelity, and faithfulness towards God. So God's judgment, as much as it was grim, it was deserved to the people of Israel. And then Moses, our Amos, sorry, described the punishment that now is going to come. In the previous chapters, Amos is telling them, "This is what will happen." The Lord is saying, return to me. Oh, judgment is going to come. And last week we saw that now God shows Amos what is going to happen to the children of Israel. And in this verse here, if you may read with me, chapter 8, verse 10, it says this, I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads I will make that time like mourning for an only son, and the end of it like a bitter day. God has said, A time will come when you will only meet with anguish, pain, and grief. In verse 11, another judgment or punishment. The days are coming, declares the, the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land not a famine of food or a dust for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. God is saying that because you took the divine voice, you took it for granted, all these words that I have brought to you through my servant Amos, you have taken them for granted, a time will come, and you will try and you look for this word, and you never find it and to these israelites perhaps you could remember what god had said in the book of deuteronomy that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god then it says there in that day verse 13 the lovely young women and strong men will faint because of dust they who swear by the shame of samaria or say as surely as your god lives all done Or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall never to rise again. Those who have forgotten me, the true and living God, and they have gone to Beersheba. They have gone to Bethel to worship other gods, other foreign gods. Images that have hands hands that cannot move. They have eyes that cannot blink. They have a mouth that cannot speak. They have a head without a brain. Those ones that you have gone to worship, I will bring death. So you can imagine the punishment that comes to these ones. A moment of great pain and anguish. A great moment of despair and hunger for God's word. A moment of death because of the things that they have done to each other. Friends, let us not take lightly. When we hurt or we speak ill of each other, when we take the moment to hurt the other person, God sees that. When we manipulate, when we steal, when we lie, when we kill god sees that and god has said i will never forget but god is telling them if you turn to me i am going to change the story or will not be lost but if you don't do that my judgment will be complete it will be comprehensive And it will be constant because god says in chapter 9 somewhere there he says i will fix in verse 4 i will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good that you're not going to run away from the judgment of god my judgment will be comprehensive and it will be constant and it will be complete friends no one can hide from the judgment of god but thanks be to god Because the zeal that God pursues us to judge us, what we have read from verse 11 of chapter 9, is that also God pursues us with his mercies. He pursues us with his judgment, but pursues us as well with his mercies. And the lovers of history will know that history is is replete with stories of how the Assyrians came and they took over the land of Israel. And the people of Israel went through this. They fell by the sword. Their land was taken and they went to another place where they would never be able to worship God. In verse 8, part B says there, yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. And that's the glimmer of hope that we have very very small a small light that gives us hope so that we may not be in despair as we read this book of amos that yet i will not totally destroy the house of jacob and i was asking myself who are these people that were spared and i thought maybe it's the people who are loving god in the land of israel these are the people just a handful of people who are pursuing god who are trying perhaps to correct the others. But there were so few. There were so few. That their righteous living perhaps was strangled. By the abounding sin of their family members. Of their relatives. Of the people of Israel. And so as the judgment of God came. They found themselves at the center of a crossfire of judgment. And they were people who were in prayer. And perhaps interceding. They are people who had honoured God, but they had to suffer because of the faith, uh, faithlessness of their kings. That they suffered the consequences of the rebellious ones. I picture them, these people being uprooted from their land, losing all that they had, and going to the exile on a long sojourn to a land that is empty, to a land that is desolate, to a land that is in despair, wondering, Lord, for how long are we going to be here? And perhaps these words gave them a glimmer of hope and a light in darkness. That when things looked most bleak, these words gave them hope. And many of them, and perhaps you could be here as well, you have suffered because of the sins of someone else. Someone else has done something that has cost you, has caused a relationship. And you never participated there with them. And you feel, God, why am I going through this? For the sins and rebellion of someone else. And perhaps you might be asking, together with these people, for how long, God, will you ever come and give me life? Such were the people of Israel, who God says, yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. And I think the usage of the word Jacob there, instead of Israel is just to show how few these people were. Only a handful. Perhaps just a few people. Countable. God is going to spare them. And perhaps these words of Amos chapter 9, give them hope that when they were carried to exile, all they had was a message of restoration. That God one day will make them to return to their land and live. you're going to see that how it goes and so after a long exile they will again know the joy that comes from the lord they won't be scattered and separated they'll be able to come to the full joy of the lord and perhaps they knew that it's not going to end like this there is hope and even for you brothers and sisters today i want to remind you that there is hope it won't end the way it is now like the people of israel who are on exile Even for us as Christians, we know that we are on an exile. We are living in exile. We know where our true home is. Where Jesus says in the book of John, chapter 14, that he has gone to prepare a place. And there we never be separated from him. There we never be scattered. There the hand of sin will no longer reach us, or even death, or pain, or despair. We'll be together with our Lord, Jesus Christ. We must must live as Christians, knowing that we are a people on a journey, we are a people in exile as well. These are the people who would suffer the consequences and the rebellion of others and despite all these calamities that have come their way, there was hope of restoration and this is the hope that we find in the last verses of the book of Amos and I pray that there are moments to sustain us in moments of great adversity, to know that our restoration is going to come. It is the same hope that should sustain you as believers, that all scattered people, one day, they will return from the exile, and they will be able to live in the presence of their Lord. If you feel like you have been so far away from God, my encouragement today is this, return and live. And you are going to see what these words look like. These words that we have read here, I see that is a picture of divine grace as well as a picture of a glorious future. It is a picture of a divine promise that I hope for you as a believer, that it can strengthen your faith today. It can sustain your joy today. And it can supply that living hope that never fails. And for you, if you have not come to terms... Or if you do not know this god who promises these great things that you will question yourself and ask yourself why can i not commit to this gracious god this gracious king we are going to look at it in three ways that there is a time for a glorious reign that there is a time for a global gathering that we'll see when god restores and that also finally there is a gracious restoration that comes from god let us see how this glorious reign of god looks like and the word that starts in verse 11 in that day i will restore david's fallen tent and i will repair its broken places and restore its ruins and build it as it used to be and you well know that king david was a very good man and god himself gave him a commentary that he is a man after god's own heart and God had promised in the book of Second Samuel that the kingdom or future kings will come from his lineage. And God, who is always true to his promises, had said that one day a king will come from your lineage, one who will be able to rule forever. And Amos in this case is saying that a king is coming through the lineage of David, To repair everything that has been broken. The broken booths. That's what it says there. Broken places and restore its ruins. Actually, when you look at the original word there, that broken places there, the word means something that is rude to look at. I don't know if you have ever looked at something and all that you get is rudeness, hopelessness. And it says there, God says that in that day I will restore David's fallen tent and I will repair broken places. And this is an initiative of God. God is the one who will do this. Our work is to trust his word. God is the one who is saying I will restore, I will rebuild, I will repair as it used to be. And friends, that's why our hope is that when this great king comes, there will be lasting blessings and restorations that come from him. And King Jesus, he is a king unlike Jeroboam, who only ruled for a moment. Jeroboam II, who took away the harvest, the one that we have now, is a king who gives himself to us. That he reigns now, and one day when this exile is over, our faith shall be turned to sight when we see him face to face. And the reason why we shall see him is because he is a gracious king. On this gracious reign, he has redeemed us as his people. The judgment had come to the people of Israel. If you look with me, the the, the judgment that I have just read, that there will be anguish, there will be, they will no longer hear the word of God, and there will be death. And this came to the people of Israel, and it was a partial judgment. But for us christians we know that we are not going to taste this judgment because of something that christ did for them it says that i will make that time like mourning for our only son but for us we know that someone else stood in the gap for us someone else stood in the gap for us the punishment that was for us someone else stood in there and on that good friday when the Bible says there in verse 9 of chapter 8, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will make that time like morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. I think this was reenacted during the Good Friday when Christ was crucified on that cross for you and me and for our sins, that the earth was, became dark In broad daylight. And God he himself. mourned for his only son. And the end of it. That good Friday. It had nothing good with it. Nothing good. Nothing worth celebrating. Because at that day. On that that day. Jesus took our judgment. The judgment that was meant for us. Because of our rebellion. And now when God looks at us. He says, I'm going to rebuild. I am going to restore. I am going to repair the broken places. But not because of your own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ and what Christ has done. And so for us, if we believe in this Jesus Christ, and if we live for him, and if we return to him, then we have a glorious future. We have a glorious moment because we know that we never be in a moment of anguish of pain, of loss, that we never come to a place that we don't hear God's word. And secondly, verse 12 of verse chapter 9 says, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. That in this reign, that there is a global gathering of people, that when God restores The restoration will not only be to the people of Israel, but to all the people, to all the nations that bear God's name. Those ones who have come to trust the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That there is hope for them, friends. And perhaps the inclusion here of Edom might have struck the people of Israel. Because Edomites were their enemies. They always fought at all times. And so them seeing it here, that the enemies of the people of God, even for them, if they repent, that they are going also to be restored and to be accepted in the presence of God. And finally, that there is a gracious restoration. Verse 13 and verse 14 says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes, that new wine will drip from the mountains, and flow from all the hills. I bring back my exiled people. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. Friends, what we have here is a picture of gracious restoration from God that that can only pour from his grace. I grew up in the village and we used to plant and to farm. And for me, this image here struck me because I know that there are months in between planting and harvesting. You have to till the land, and then you plant. And then you till the land, you take care of the, of the plants until they reach that maturity age. And then you can harvest. And sometimes you will plant, and nothing comes out of it. And so, God here is saying that this, I'm going to bring incredible blessings That by the time one is planting, the harvesters are coming. By the time you are harvesting, the ones who are plowing the land are behind you to plant because the harvest is plenty. And the creation is yielding so much because God has restored everything. And because of that, the people will stay and live in the cities, restored cities, and in their quiet vineyards, with no striving, no or, or, or any kind of scarcity. I know many of you are looking there and asking God, why can't you, why can't the new wine drip from the mountains? You know, why can't this happen now? You know, and drink their wines. You are reading those words there and asking, and your mind takes you somewhere else. Come back, because wine here means that God is going to do something new. God is going to bring you to a moment of great joy and celebrations. That's what it says the people who have gone to exile, those who feel like the hand of God is heavy upon them, those who have trusted in the Lord but they have to live through the consequences or the sins of others, those ones, God says, I'm going to restore and there will be plenty of harvest that the time of planting and the time of harvest, there will be no difference. All the times, whatever you do, whatever you touch, it will bear much fruit. Friends, a day is coming when God shall reverse the curse of sin for his chosen people. But the reality is we live in days that are far cry from what has been described here. And perhaps some of you are here today. believers, but you're here and you're deeply sad. You see others laughing and enjoying and you wonder, God, when will I ever smile? You are drained by the challenges at home and at work. You are overwhelmed with endless responsibilities. You are tired and you lack sleep. And these words cannot make sense because you feel like God is pursuing you with judgment. I want to remind you, turn back to God and you'll experience the God who you feel like is judging you is pursuing you with his mercies and with his love. The same way that the people of Israel couldn't escape the judgment of God God says that my eyes will be focused on them. Here, what we read here is that God now is saying, you will not escape my grace. You will not escape my masses. You will not escape that. And a time is coming. Some of you are grappling with a deep sorrow or grief at the moment following the loss of a loved one. You haven't healed. Some of you are living with the reality of death striking, you have someone that you don't know if they are going to recover. Perhaps you are worried about your aging parents. Some of you have to contend with dark nights with depression. Some of you are ashamed of a failed venture and disappointments from friends. You did or you invested somewhere and you are wondering, all that money, it went down the drain and you can't even stand before people. Some of you are damaged spiritually and emotionally by your failures and missed opportunities. You are full of regret. You are discouraged that your efforts don't birth any desired outcome. That you are fighting frustrations and some of you are also discouraged by what is happening in your home. Siblings not sitting together to chat about anything. Spouses cannot cannot agree on anything or on any matter. Marriage isn't working. Helplessness in your singleness. Some are even unable to provide for their children. And they are right here today. And some of you are on the verge of giving up. Like the children of Israel. Let these words encourage you that a time will come. There is a time that is is coming that God will be able to restore everything and we repair all the ruined cities. Some of you are on the verge of giving up, fighting a constant sin, addicted to pornography, sexual sin, sexual struggles, or other sins that keep you company at all times. Friends, we live in such a world where there is sorrow, where there are frustrations, where there is pain, and I pray that these words of Amos here, they give they will give you hope for today, for tomorrow, and even for the days to come. That there is life that is provided by grace if we return to him and trust this Lord for all and in all seasons. Friends, I want to remind you that these words are not just an empty rhetoric. They are true words that some of you here have tested. You have tested and you have said that indeed God is good and God is faithful. So take heart Christian, trust in the Lord who will assume the responsibility of restoring your life. He says there, I will restore. You are not the one who will restore. Your work is just to trust in him and to live in him. And then he takes initiative of restoring. I will repair, I will rebuild. And I pray that that will happen in your very life today. Jesus asks you today to trust in him. Even if you sense some weariness, some hopelessness, some frustrations. For there is a time that all that you could be going through, one day it will be over like it was for these children of Israel. This is the gracious restoration that awaits you and me. Verse 15 there, as we come to an end, says, I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them. says the lord your god that after a long and difficult exile god says that i am the one who will plant them in their land that king jesus is the one who will bring you home for us as christians we know that this world is not our home that there is a future for us and god says he himself that i am the one who will plant israel in their own land and he says there again, never again to be uprooted. This is where there's permanent safety and permanent hope. And as Christians, you can't give up. That God has said that I, as much as you're going through an exile at the moment, then I'm going to take you to a place that you'll never be uprooted. And we know that we are in this world for a moment. And some of you have struggled with grief. I want to remind you that even those who have gone before you, that person that you so much love, who you're struggling with, now they're in a place where they will never be uprooted. That's what God says in His word. This is permanent safety. We may experience temporal one during at the moment, and we pray so, but there is a permanent one that is coming. I pray that this word encourages you to live your faith, to love this God who is going to take you to a place that you will never again be uprooted. And John says in his word, in in the book of Revelation, that the place that he saw, all those who had gone there, they never cried again, they never hungered again, and they were never in dust. All that they were doing is to worship the Lord. Friends, there is a future for you and me. This may not be it. If we return to God and live in him, He says, I'm going to take you to a place that you will never, ever be uprooted. And this refrain of exiled people longing home with this promise, I pray that it encourages you and me, that though in this life you may experience sorrow and grief and loss and mistreatment, have hope that one day this will be over and God, he himself will take us home. And in case you doubt this promise of god in case you doubt it in case you do not believe it god reminds them that i am the one who will do this i the lord will do this and this promise is signed by god he says there the last words in the book of amos says says the lord you are god it's not philip who is saying this it's your god whom you believe in who will restore who will rebuild will give you a permanent residence if you believe and if you keep trusting in him. Friends, true faith is marked by confidence that God is the one who will do it. No one else, not your spouse, not your child. God himself will do it. And these are the words that gave those people who felt mistreated, who felt like the judgment of God was so heavy on them. This is the word that encouraged them. May these words encourage you as you return to God so that you may not only experience joy in this world but so that you may experience life and true life in him and I pray as you have read through the book of Amos that indeed now you are going to return to God and indeed have life Friends, pursue the love of God by returning to him and there you will experience hope and life Allow me to invite the music team to come so that you may sing that song that we sang earlier which I felt like it was very very timely for you and me to proclaim this faith and this trust before our Lord and our Savior. Allow me to invite all of us to stand and then after that we are going to say a word of prayer together. Neither trouble nor hardship nor persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword can separate us from your love, from your goodness and Lord we pray for faith that Lord you increase our faith in you and our trust in you, that as we make a commitment to return back to you so that you may give us life God give us the tools that we all need thank you for your unending goodness to us that indeed, Lord, you are mindful of us. We present our lives before you. You who have said that, Lord, you are going to restore and to rebuild. Should anyone of us be here today, make this word alive in their hearts and in their lives. Restore that relationship, oh God. Restore that hope. Anyone who is on the verge of giving up, restore them, oh God. You have called us to a place of trusting in you. That indeed you are a God who restores and rebuilds the ruins. You are a God who removes the shame of your people. May you hear the cry of your children today and answer them. We recommit ourselves before you, O God, and ask you, Father, may you heal our hearts. May you restore our families. May you restore everything that, Lord, that the enemy has taken away from us. May you increase our faith, O God, and our hope in you. We thank you. Because you are the good shepherd who strengthens us at all times. We bless your holy name and we thank you for your word. And I pray for these brothers and sisters. Oh Lord, may you be with them and encourage them in their unique situations, oh God. For you are a good shepherd. We thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you and be with you.